Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. It's another really exciting show this week, and, and we continue between interviews that Adam and I conduct to take a tour through the sports industry and, and different roles within the sports industry and where people sit. On this week's show, Adam has a great interview with Dan Freistack. Dan is a strategic sports and entertainment industry leader with extensive experience in creating and executing highly successful partnerships within the sports industry. Dan has held multiple positions with his current company, CDW, where he's now the senior manager of partner development. Within that role, Dan works with CDW's network of technology vendors to design and create new partnerships within the sports, entertainment, and charity space that demonstrate CDW's capabilities and their partners' technologies. Dan is also a familiar face and voice to those in the sports administration program as he's a frequent contributor to the sponsorship course taught by Jim Andrews. We're always very grateful for the time and insights Dan provides to the program. We hope that you all enjoy Adam's interview with Dan Freistack. Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is Dan Freistack. So not only is Dan Freistack uh, has worked for uh, several years in, in sponsorship and, and marketing, partnership marketing at CDW, but he's also actually been a frequent contributor to Northwestern classes and Masters of Sports Administration classes, having uh, spoken um obviously speaking for this podcast and also having spoken in our core sponsorship class with Jim Andrews. So Dan, we want to welcome you to yet another, uh, another appearance in the Northwestern program. No, thank you for having me. I think this, uh, this will be fun. It's a new medium for my, uh, my appearances in the program for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, before we jump into, you know, um, before we jump into some of the more uh, topics that we want to cover, we do want to start with a background and it would be great if you could provide a background to our listeners in terms of how you've gotten in your position today. Sure. So I, I kind of have a funny title for participation in this now, but uh, my official title is Senior Manager of Partner Investment, which is something that's a little bit more specific to CDW, means something a little bit more there than it might on the outside. But uh, I've been working in sponsorship, sports and entertainment um, in some capacity for the last... 12, 13 years or so. Um, and then before that, I was working on the uh, traditional marketing agency side. So not sports specific, but uh, on the agency side. And uh, I always say that, you know, there's no straight line to, to jobs in this business. Um, people come from the sports side, you know, ticketing and in, in that world. Uh, people come up through the agency side, people come up through the brand side and on. Um, What's funny about my path was I started working in the agency world, uh, 2007, 2008, and then, uh, the world sort of fell apart then. And, uh, as a, uh, on the agency side, smaller agency, when you start losing large clients, you start looking around wondering, uh, how long or how much longer you're going to be able to last. And so, um, fortunate never to have, lost my position, but I was certainly looking for something sturdy to, to line up against. And, uh, I was looking just around, honest to God, local companies that have good reputations. I was a young kid. I was still trying to figure out, uh, where I was going. And I saw CDW had a few open roles and I applied to three different open roles at CDW. 
uh, got an interview for one of them, was fortunate enough to get it. And that role was as a IT project manager, um, which were uh, three words that I had no association with uh, going into the role, but I was able to get myself through the interview, get hired. And so that's what I did for the first year and a half at CDW. I was, we would sell uh, products and services to um, schools and government offices, all the things that we do now. And my job was to coordinate uh, the delivery of those installations and hire personnel to go out there and do it. And, and all this really pretty complex PM sort of activity. Um, at, again, after about a year and a half of that, uh, I was checking the company's intraweb, trying to get back into the marketing side of things where I was a little bit more comfortable. And um, I saw a posting for a job saying, hey, we want somebody to manage our PGA Tour sponsorship, which we had just begun. And uh, we're looking for somebody with marketing and project management experience. And so all of a sudden, and very much on accident, I fit the criteria for, for application. Um, but yeah, I went in and originally that job was just to help manage the PGA Tour deal that we had. And over time, I just grew it um, further and further, not really necessarily by going and creating new things or saying we should do more, but instead recognizing some gaps and some spaces where um, it made sense to bring some central theory, central ideas together or together to, uh, to better activate and augment one another and um, work together more effectively. So um, first it started with the PGA tour, but we had all different sorts of deals across the country with different teams, with different leagues that were essentially being run by our sales leaders at the time. And so over time, bringing those all together under one hood, uh, under one governing philosophy, um, putting together a system of measurement to understand the effectiveness of it, make better decisions, uh, and doing it all together, those things sort of grew over time uh, in my role. And, uh, again, a lot of where I went was, um, not really, or not really saying, um, Hey, we need to do this, or we need to try more. It was really about, look, we're doing a lot and there's opportunity for growth, but how do we do this more smartly? How do we do it more effectively? And how do we do it under a real sort of core idea versus all these disparate parts that we have right now? And, uh, yeah, over time just kept growing it and out of these sort of natural extensions, um, into what I'm doing now, which is as a, just getting back to the, the initial point there as a, um, when I say partner investment, we are a co-op marketing organization at CDW. So we work with large, uh, IT vendor partners like a Dell technologies or Cisco, um, or any of the ones that you may have heard of. And, we work together to build programs with them. And my job is essentially to design creative uh, opportunities to work together with each of these partners in the sports and entertainment sponsorship space uh, to design uh, avenues for us to showcase their product and capabilities uh, to CUW's vast customer base. So it's a, a bit of a um, natural evolution to the things that I've been doing throughout my career. 
Uh, there's a bunch there I want to get into, but uh, I'll start from the beginning. Yeah, I kind of went on a soliloquy there. Huh? <laughs> no, 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 it's good. That's that's because <laughs> it sets up the conversation. So I'll start from the beginning, which is, and this is a theme that we've talked about in this class. Um, you know, you talked about your experience outside of sports in terms of helping you get a role inside of sports. Can you just talk about how your experiences, um, you mentioned it already a little bit, but can you talk about it in a little more de- detail, how your experiences in the agency world and then as an IT project manager, what did you learn? How do you apply them and how do you see them resonating kind of in within your work in, in sports and sponsorship? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's two, um, as you were saying that two ideas that, uh, I probably wouldn't have had a great sense of two things. So one, the idea of absolute customer service, uh, working hand in hand and, you know, as a co-op marketing organization at CUW, understanding that we need to serve CUW as a brand at all times, but we need to serve our partners in the IT space, which are ultimately our customers. We need to serve them at all times too. Um, I joke that we're, you know, we're 50% brand, but we're 50% agency. All that really means is we're a hundred percent brand and a hundred percent agency because it has to absolutely work for both or, or it doesn't work. And so I think coming up on the agency side in the beginning, uh, knowing that you need to, uh, be available to serve and you need to be ready to, um, service the client depending on, uh, what their unique, uh, needs and goals are at all times and not necessarily have such a, a pride in the beginning of this is what I think is a great idea, right? I mean, everything, those are the table stakes, right? Everything has to be a great idea, but it's more about being in the voice of your customer and understanding what they're trying to accomplish and working together to figure out what that is. Um, so that really helped me just as a foundational piece. And then honestly, working on the project management side, I did not have that skill set coming in and um, a year and a half is not a very long time, but very quickly over that period, um, just learning how to have um, a better sense of organizing, not just my time, but time of those that I'm working with, working within complex budgets uh, that were fluid, constantly moving up and down, which you see all the time in the sports uh, and entertainment space, particularly with media and hosting dollars that are just always fluctuating depending on the activation that you have Um, building some of those real foundational elements for not just the creative marketing agency side, but also the practical and logistical and operational side. uh, It gave me a really strong foundation for understanding how to be successful uh, moving forward. And I would tell you that um, as it relates to any time that I've interviewed anybody for a role, um, working in the space, I have always focused on what are you passionate about, but what are you good at? What do you bring to the table? Do you have a financial acumen? Do you have uh, an operational uh, excellence acumen? Like what do you bring to the table? Because who doesn't love sports, right? Who doesn't love entertainment? People are going to be passionate. People are going to want to work within it. But at the end of the day, it's a job and you need to be just as good at the creative or the spreadsheets and budgets and uh, operational efficiency as you do at the creative side of it. Yeah. And actually now I want to move a little bit towards the end of what you talked about in the introduction and kind of bring it back to that point specifically, which is, um, our audience may not be as familiar with what CDW does. And you talked about having to work with different technology partners and 
you know, by under, you know, working on the IT project management side, obviously I think enables you to understand more of how your partners want to activate and how to operate. And I think that's a good structure. So one, can you just give a little bit more context of what CDW's core business is? And two, um, how did that, when you first got into the partnership role, because you mentioned it was diffuse kind of within the organization, how did the, the, the kind of the sponsorship management start or what did it look like when you first started in that position? Yeah, sure. So uh, CW is a, an IT solutions provider. Uh, which I suppose can mean a lot of different things. But uh, really what that means is we're a a high-end VAR, as they call us. So uh, value-added reseller, right? Uh, We don't make our own technology products, but we do have a robust sales force uh, along with a very large and growing services arm. So um, not only can we provide and source any uh, type or amount of technology that an organization would need, we have the capability to install it, to monitor, to maintain, to break fix, et cetera. So it's really a a turnkey IT solutions organization, Um, which again, you know, not everybody can. Not everybody can say. A lot of people. For a long time, we specialized in products uh, only. As we branch into services, it's it's provided us with a, a differentiation in market. Um, that is, it's we're a soup to nuts organization. Now, along with that, brings in not just the partners that you would think of on the front end, like an HPI or a Dell or you know the various products that you have on your home office desk in front of you right now. Um, but all of the cloud partners, all of the services partners, all of sort of the technology that you can't see, feel, touch, uh, we work with them as well. And so CDW, when we're telling our brand story and leveraging sports and entertainment to get our message out, we need to talk just as much about the stuff that you can't see, feel, and touch as you do the stuff that uh, is in front of you every day. So we leverage sports and entertainment and sponsorship to demonstrate our capabilities with our partner technologies. That's the best way and easiest way I can put it. And so um, a great story for CDW is to partner with an organization where uh, recently uh, with the PGA tour, we started talking about how they're moving from ShotLink to ShotLink 2.0. ShotLink is their data aggregation and dissemination system. So, uh, all the stats that you see out on tour, every single shot hit, all that good stuff, it all gets collected, brought back, stored in the cloud, new data, new stats uh, generated, pushed out to broadcast, and on and on and on. We power all of the infrastructure for that. And what's great for CDW to talk about with that is not just the uh, technology that's capturing all of the data, not just the technology that is sending that information from course back to these trucks, which are essentially mobile data centers. But what happens after that, right? It gets put into uh, a pretty rigorous system to generate insights. And then those insights taken to uh, be distributed to audiences, to uh, caddies, coaches, players, et cetera. So it's seeing every part of the technology 
intervention and assistance throughout the process, it's a nice microcosm for CW to tell that story. And along the way, we get to tell the story of the Lenovo product that's out there, the Cisco product that is in the truck, the uh, cloud services that CW's holding uh, off-prem in order to to aggregate the data. And our business is such where we need to be able to, going back to your original question of these disparate parts, we need to be able to tell holistic stories because that's who we want people, or that's what we want people to believe about our brand, right? We want them to know and understand that we have these full capabilities. Whereas in the beginning, uh, before we started collecting all of these disparate deals that were being done across the country, you know, we would have a deal with the Tampa Bay Arena and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it was primarily to host customers and then uh, talk about what we were doing with Lenovo laptops. Well, for a long time, you know, maybe that was okay, but after a while, you don't want this significant region of the country, uh, for CDW anyway, to be thinking of CDW as purely a Lenovo laptop seller. And if that's the message that you're pumping consistently in one part of the country or, or more, that's the perception that's going to be received uh, or created. So a lot of what I was responsible for doing was taking all of this, putting it together and saying, no, 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 we're not just telling this story here, that story there, and on and on and on. We're telling one story together with a lot of different parts. So let's hone in on these great solution stories that are going to feature multiple technology products, multiple uh, solution stories, and push that out because that's who we want CDW to be in the, in the minds of our customers. So that actually leads to another question I wanted to ask. Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about uh, data and the impact of data and how you guys look at data. Uh, obviously, that's a core area of focus in uh, the classes that I teach. But you brought up a good point there about narrative. And I know narrative from sponsorship has been a big part and big something that you're passionate about. Can you talk about, one, how was the narrative that you just talked about received internally in terms of shifting um, the priorities potentially into this coalescing around this one story for CDW. How did people, how do you, how do you, your, uh, how to internally at CDW and externally with your partners, how do they see the narrative of your sponsorships and partnerships? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think there's, there's two different answers in that, um, you know, anytime that you play for change internally, there's always going to be a little bit of, resistance, passive or just outright. Um, and anytime that you're trying to, um, especially in my case where I was removing some responsibility from other folks and sort of assuming it, uh, onto myself and, and what I do, um, it became, you know, there was, there was certainly, uh, some fight that along or that went along with that. But at the same time, I think using that exact argument of having a central narrative, having really just posing questions that were common sense based saying, why wouldn't we try to have this effort, which is, you know, sometimes regional, but often national in terms of the way that we would uh, talk about our deals that we had with different teams and properties. Why would we not have that fit into our broader brand strategy? Um, and there wasn't really a good answer for why not, right? It was just sort of, well, that's the way that our sellers used to do it. And we're, you know, who wants to cause a ruckus, right? Um, and so I think over time, it kind of made sense just by posing these, you know, common sense scenarios. And then also, as 
perception started to move a little bit internally towards, yeah, I guess I could see how that would make sense using, um, I wouldn't say data at the time, but using the prospect of generating data, right? So if we took this all under one hood, we'll be able to measure it much more effectively. We'll be able to make more uh, effective decisions, more efficient decisions uh, on how we are going to spend, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, you know, the people that maybe held out a little bit more uh, in the first place started being a lot more receptive to, yeah, this, this would make sense. Let's do that. Um, around the external piece of it though, and the narrative building, I will tell you that uh, one of the most informative things that really guided my decision-making process for a long time was we would do brand, we do brand tracking surveys. We do all sorts of, um, all sorts of efforts in market, just trying to understand what people think of us uh, now uh, in the future. What would they think if we did this? You know, like anybody does, right? Um, the thing that kept coming back to us when we would ask about our PGA tour deal specifically, and this was through like 2013 and we started that deal back in 2008. It took until 2013 to surpass IBM in terms of asking the average IT decision maker, you know, our general base of customer asking them who the official technology partner of the PGA tour. It took five years for us to pass who used to hold the actual title. And so you realize the half-life on this stuff is so strong. Uh, and what IBM was able to build over their years of owning it and the perception that they were able to create was just something that was very, very hard for us to, to overcome. And we firmly believe, and we have some data that backs us up, that in 2011 or so, when we really started uh, creating an effort around having a central message that we were putting in market that was tied not just to the tour, but with all of our other properties. So as that built over a couple of years, having a much more consistent message around who we were, uh, specifically tied to sponsorship, sports and entertainment, all of a sudden, we started breaking down those walls and those barriers of people saying, no, 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 it's IBM. I know who IBM is. I know who the PGA Tour is, and that's not you. Um, once we got a little bit more disciplined with our message and you know consolidated in our approach, uh, we saw the perception shift over time to to now where it's a full, you know, obviously we're in 2020. Uh, we have a pretty strong ownership grip on that side. Yeah, and you've been talking about data and, you know, now I, I do want to transition into data in terms of how are you using data and how are you leveraging data and information to determine if these, uh, determine how the partnerships are successful, whether it's through the PGA Tour or otherwise. What's What are some of the key metrics that you're looking at in order to drive your decision making? Sure. And, you know, we've we've obviously worked with, we try to find all the best people to, uh, to help us out with. I you know, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not always going to be the smartest guy in the room, but uh, if I can talk to the smartest guys in the room, you know, um, I'm doing a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, we've worked with yourself and, and Block 6 Analytics. Uh, we've worked with a couple of other firms over time. And I think it's good to, to keep a fresh perspective on this stuff and talk to uh, people both on the what I would say the, the data analytics side, but also on the research side, I try to combine both of it because ultimately uh, understanding what you've done and what was effective and correlating that against uh, spend and, and time uh, and effort, it's important, but we also look very heavily into 
the research or the research side of things. Where are things going? As much as data and analytics can be a you know uh, a predictor of where things are going, I think you need to balance that a little bit with, okay, well, what are we seeing in market? How do we, especially now, right? You need to be. Uh, you need to have your head on your shoulders in terms of uh, knowing what's coming down uh, the pipeline and how to uh, react to it and apply what you've learned from your data research or your, your data analytics um, to sort of pivot appropriately and frankly ahead of when you see changes coming. So um, we've put a pretty strong effort toward, toward both ends of it. We, you know, sponsorship is not any one metric, right? You can't just say, I got an eight out of 10 on this. Um, it's, there's different pieces of it. There's media that you need to evaluate within the media. There's all different kinds, right? And I know that you guys have done, I mean, you guys have gotten so granular in the work that you do around social media metrics and, uh, tracking where uh, the impact of that truly is versus, you know, traditional impression measurement and, and all that stuff. And so there's so many categories and subcategories that you have to consistently evaluate. Um, but we do, uh, I'll be honest with you, we do pretty intense work around uh, that piece of it because um, while we started out in our evaluation process doing, okay, we hosted customers at this stuff and they used to spend X and now they spend Y. Like that was sort of the baseline. And then we started adding in the, the media, like the traditional linear uh, media metrics uh, to, to create it. And then we started doing um, some surveying on top of it, some customer surveying to find out what their perception of CDW was before, then, after. And then we started getting into new media with digital and social metrics and layering that in. And so over time, we've created sort of this mountain of data that we look at holistically together um, for each deal that we have in place to really understand, is this deal working for us or is it not? And so it's a lot of different pieces, but it's it's something that we're pretty uh, we're pretty religious about following and uh, allowing it to inform our decision making. Yeah, and again, without revealing state secrets, so to speak, uh, when you say um, if something is working or not, or if something is not working, um, how do you communicate that? Uh, you know, one, what are the kind of things that you're looking at to see if things are working or not? And then two, if things aren't working, what are you doing to um, right size or communicate insights around things that are working or not working, both internally and externally? Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing for us because so many of the um, deals that we end up doing, sponsor anything in sports and entertainment, um, are tied often to a uh, a business um, opportunity as well. And not to say that it's a quid pro quo scenario or anything like that, but as I mentioned before, we're trying to tell solution stories, and you can't really do that. Uh, faithfully or organically, unless you have a story to tell with the property that you're working with. And so um, ultimately, everything that we're measuring, without getting too deep into some of the secret sauce of what kind of matters the most to us and, and how we evaluate, I will tell you that everything is built towards this idea of our version of ROI. And there's we have different ways of measuring it by taking in all that data uh, and determining um, 
what sort of dollars I would tell you, not just that we're generating, but this gives you a little bit of a hint of what I'm talking about, but how many revenue dollars are we um, touching? And that is a big piece of it. So um, we feel like that is going to allow us to give us a pretty good apples to apples comparison across other um, traditional forms of marketing. Right. And so when you try to look at this stuff and understand what's really working and what's not um, revenue dollars touched is something that we really try to understand so that we know from this deal um, what sort of uh, apples to apples impact we'd be having against some other form of trying to touch, for example, the Houston market right versus doing a deal with the Houston Texans. So I would say that's ultimately the goal that we try to get to each time. Yeah, one of the things you brought you just brought up that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, how to best target markets. One of the things you've talked about just on LinkedIn is the difference between property marketing and athlete marketing, and when you make the decision to work with either, and how athletes, particularly in the current environment, should really need to focus on building their own brand. So, from your perspective, how do you think of what, whether it's through CDW or just from your own personal experience, uh, how do you think of the differences between you know? Uh, property, direct property marketing versus direct athlete marketing in, in the sponsorship context? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I think every brand is probably a little different in their values and, you know, the things that they're trying to achieve beyond just, you know, um, getting more dollars, right? But ultimately, the athlete marketing component, to me, and this is perhaps not as data backed as I would like it to be. And maybe you can educate me on it, but um, unless you're dealing with a, a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan or somebody of overwhelming scale and scope, I don't believe that athletes it by themselves are ever going to be, um, I don't think that they're ever going to be as impactful as a broader property sponsorship could be. So if your goal is around awareness and uh, brand building, I don't believe that athlete marketing can ever be purely as strongly uh, considered as team or property. And that's really just a matter of scope and scale. Uh, especially when most teams that you work with, you have the ability to leverage athletes on that team in different capacities. So you can kind of have your cake and eat it too when working with a team. Whereas an individual athlete, again, absolutely there are specific examples that, uh, you know, can cut. And we worked with Charles Barkley in the past. He was one of those examples that, you know, is bigger than uh, most individual teams or properties. Um, that said, there's still an overwhelming value to dealing with or individual athletes, depending on how you plan on utilizing them. So for us, it was much more in a B2B business environment. We're not out there trying to sell another bag of Doritos or, you know, another power bar or whatever else, right? We're trying to spell, or we're trying to sell complex technology solutions um, at significant amounts of money. And ultimately driving those decisions is a matter of a few very basic ideas. What is the customer's need? What are our capabilities? And what is the relationship between us? And so from an athlete marketing standpoint, we really focused on leveraging them for that third piece. 
So if we're going to host you out at a PGA tour event, for example, it's don't get me wrong. It is incredible to have Gary Woodland PGA tour pro out there with CW on the bag, winning the U S open and it's on TV and you're getting all sorts of brand awareness and, and all that good stuff. But that kind of thing is easy to replicate through a traditional media buy, right? The reach that you're going to get from it. If you're really going for that, you're not buying the bag in the hopes that he's going to win. Like that's, that's just icing on the cake. Um, the reason that you partner with Gary Woodland is because you've seen him in environments uh, with customers, and in our case, very um, smart, very informed, um, high-level corner office holding customers who want to talk with somebody and have an educated conversation about their business, about how Gary Woodland leverages data to get ahead, how he um, looks at technology as a means of success for him. Um, we needed to evaluate our athlete ambassadorship by um, who was going to be best in a room and not just good in a room, um, but good in a room with corner office holders. And so being able to connect what we do with the PGA tour through one of their pros and then down to a handshake level with our customers was of the utmost importance. And so when we made that decision um, and any decision similar, right, that is always at the forefront of our mind, much more so how high is their Q score and how likely are they uh, to be seen on TV, you know, doing X, Y, Z, because while that's important, you can drive that in other ways. If that is your pure goal, we had uh, other motivations. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, this probably is in and of itself uh, its own podcast in terms of company-specific evaluation, particularly when it comes to athlete and influencer marketing. But that's in general what we would recommend as well is what are your company's goals and how does this uh, athlete or or influencer, how do they drive uh, business results in the ways that you're talking about, right? CDW has very different business model than, you know, you mentioned Pepsi or you mentioned, you know, consumer product good companies, beverage companies or quick serve restaurant companies. It's just a very different model. And that needs to be reflected Mm -hmm. in terms of who you're looking at from an influencer and athlete perspective. Um, And the other thing that needs to be, go ahead. No, I was going to say that to, so to your point around CPG, I, I maybe sounded like I was making fun before. And honestly, I, I'm not, and I've seen, you know, I've seen plenty of research where I think there was like a famous study around um, maybe, shoot, maybe you did it. Um, but I believe it was uh, Dr. Pepper, you know, they, sh- when they have the Chicago bears on their 12 packs and they're selling them during football season, they see a 30% lift over those that have Chicago bears players and logos on their cases over the standard that they sell at the same time. And that matters, right? They're driving real dollars by doing that. That's not our business, right? You're not going to go to the store and buy a CW box. And if it has Charles Barkley's face on it with two thumbs up, it's going to make a difference. That's just not how we operate. And so what are your goals? And, and to your point, how are you driving specifically towards those in a way that makes sense for your brand versus what just might look traditionally cool or interesting? Yeah. And that, um, uh, we saw with the, we did some uh, publishing work on Anheuser-Busch when they had the NFL with beer with your team on it. That's where they said there was something like a 25% lift, if not that, but it's a similar concept, right? Whether it's Dr. Pepper or Anheuser-Busch consistently CPG companies do see uh, potentially see lifts yeah. when they're licensing 
um, the image or likeness uh, on that. And one of the things that came out recently, literally came out uh, very recently, is uh, the NBA 2K with EA Sports and everything they're trying to do from a video game perspective in terms of them being able to drive revenue through a relationship with the players. But again, those are all, again, yeah. even video game companies, I guess it's somewhat closer to CDW. It's still not exactly what CDW does, which is the point. Right. You need to look at what's good for your business and what's good for your business model. Right. Uh, and that leads to um, the next question, uh, which is in the current environment, you know, you mentioned reference 2008 as an environment where you had to reevaluate and look kind of at what was going on in the market. You know, obviously people have seen a lot of parallels between 2008 and 2020 in terms of the current economic environment. So, um, you know, again, there's obviously some things that people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, but from your perspective, in particular, interacting with your partners, you know, what have you guys been seeing in terms of impacting how you're looking at uh, sponsorship, particularly in sports and entertainment? And has COVID, um, you know, obviously it's changed the, the ability to have on-site activations, but how do you look at activations and activation plans, um, you know, at a high level now, given everything that's going on uh, with COVID? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely the time of the pivot. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, as I mentioned, um, as we've grown our capabilities, we've grown our partner network exponentially over the last decade or so. And so, um, we work with all of these partners to build marketing plans for us and them together. And a lot of it is, um, a lot of it's media-based, a lot of it's event-based. You know, there's a lot, you don't get me wrong, there's a lot of direct marketing and SEO and all sorts of traditional levers, but in the sports and entertainment and sponsorship space, it's a lot of media and event, at least in terms of the assets that would apply to their the plans that we figure out with them. And um, the media side, I will tell you, has been, uh, I wouldn't call it easy to figure out, but it's been... Um, you're still pulling traditional levers, right? You're adjusting and you're, um, you know, with live sports and the, the way things disappeared and started to come back, they've had to, we've had to pivot, um, but not in any dramatic way. It's more of, okay, where are people going? Where should we still leverage? Where should we pull out? Where should we, you know, chase our consumer, our, our customers, et cetera. On the event side, it's just been a full, you know, ripcord. I mean, there's been, there's been nothing. And, um, the official CW position at this point is that we will not be hosting customers in live, uh, hosting engagements through the remainder of 2020. And so, um, what we've found and what we did a bit of an exercise on, uh, talking with, uh, our customer advisory board, our, our partners and our sales organization, um, was we tried to figure out what are we missing as a result of not being able to get in front of customers? What have we, what have we taken away, um, as a result of that? And I know that there's some very basic, you know, well, you know, it's relationship building and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that you can just throw at that. But, uh, we really tried to get scientific about it and strip away or let's list out what are the things that you actually get on site. We had a list of about eight things that we said, this is what you get. You know, this is what leads up to the increased revenue growth that we believe hosting customers at events ultimately generates. And out of those eight things, we identified about five that we thought that we could still do. Um, 
there are certain things you just can't do, right? Shaking hands, that's not possible anymore. Um, but of the DNA of each of these customer hostings, how much can you strip out and reproduce? How much can you still do? And so we've started um, putting together a lot of what I would call um, virtual customer engagements. I, I shouldn't say I'll call them. Everybody calls them that. But um, we have started to try to replicate as much of uh, that lost experience as we can, focusing in on those uh, key elements that we think are going to differentiate a little bit uh, or differentiate us a little bit with our customers and the general IT decision-making audience um, so that we're getting something of a leg up on our customer on our competition while we all kind of fight through this horrible mess. And so um, it's manifested in a few different ways. We've done some higher end brand stuff, and then we've done some what I call VIP engagement, um, each of which has served a, a little, you know, a slightly different purpose each time, uh, depending on the uh, vendor partner that we're working with and kind of what makes sense for us in the calendar at that time. But we have definitely pivoted heavily towards that virtual engagement. And um, I will tell you without getting too deep into the, you know, the five strands of DNA that I mentioned there that we're trying to replicate, I will tell you that um, a sense of a VIP experience is, has been critical. Um, leveraging the power of celebrity throughout both the worlds of sports and entertainment, um, leveraging existing partnership capabilities so that we can transition some of that into this new world. And then finally, um, giving people a sense of um, normalcy for as brief a moment as, as we can, you know, without trying to take too much credit uh, or give ourselves, uh, you know, too heavy a pat on the back. But um, giving people an opportunity to not just connect with what's in front of them on the screen, but also the people that they're sharing it with in viewership um, has been a big piece of it too. And uh, I will tell you that the number one thing that we heard in our customer feedback, which is ultimately the most important, was it wasn't just about uh, the experience of watching what was ever in front of them. It was also about getting into a room and speaking, you know, director of IT uh, for this company to the CIO of some other company that we do business with. And just having that shared experience with peers uh, in an environment that they otherwise would not have found themselves in. And so trying to, trying to replicate as much of that as we can um, through content and topics uh, and shared VIP experience is uh, it's the path that we've pursued. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, shared VIP experiences, right? By definition, there's some exclusivity, but within a VIP experience in particular, yeah. that's one of the nice things about the PGA Tour, right? Particularly for CDW, like you described, is when there are on-site, having these on-site experiences where you can facilitate those conversations between customers and decision makers. So, you know, this is just an interesting question, like how do you create these VIP experiences where people are willing to engage in these types of events, particularly when they've changed what seemingly is fundamentally from on-site to virtually and to having this kind of normalcy in a very, um, for lack of a better term, unnormal or not normal environment? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's, 
It's a couple things, um, but I'll give you an example. I think it's probably the easiest way to explain it, uh, or at least what we when I say explain it, we're we're figuring this out too, right? We're there's still a lot of trial by error, and you know, by the end of this, hopefully there is an end of this, and uh, by that point, I, I don't expect us to be you know experts in it, but. Um, we had uh, we just did a uh, a deal recently. Um, we have a large partnership with Dell Technologies, and um, you know a lot of these larger technology firms. They're very they're very very focused around how to um, how to take care of the the individual, not just the coworker, right? How do you ensure that? Um, you're focused on health and happiness as much as you are productivity and an ROI. And uh, that goes for not just their coworkers, but their, their customers. And uh, we wanted to create something that was going to be a, when I say a smaller VIP experience, I mean, this wasn't a large event that we were going to try to get, you know, 3 million plus impressions with however many video views it was, let's go identify, um, some pipeline customers, um, you know, strength and trailing 12 month spend customers, um, and as well as coworkers across Dell and CDW and put together, uh, an intimate evening with, uh, Michael Phelps. And, um, we had done some research and I don't know if you saw this, but he recently came out with a documentary on HBO around mental health and some of the struggles that he had had and, and other athletes and just people in high performing, uh, job functions. And, uh, what we wanted to do was begin a, uh, a thought leadership series that was going to speak to, um, some of the challenges that we're all kind of going through now. Um, certainly we wanted to, um, have a conversation that was going to be relevant. Um, it's great to have Michael Phelps, but he's not going to get on the horn and talk about the latest and greatest in Dell technologies, um, nor CUW services. Uh, but if we can create an environment where the things that are mattering most to our customers right now, um, and the reason they matter most to our customers because they matter the most to everybody right now is around how you kind of get up on a Monday morning and attack the day. How do you, uh, if you already have 12 gold medals, how do you still have the will and the, um, the fight to get up at 4am to, to go into a cold swimming pool? Um, trying to find the strands that uh, people are going to connect with, no matter who they are, no matter what they do, um, pulling together our audience to have a conversation about those things. Um, it's relevant to a business audience in a way that it wouldn't have been six months ago. Um, and pulling that together, but then importantly, leveraging a platform, um, which we did that allowed for live Q and a and engagement. It allowed for, um, linking to various other research that was being done on it. Uh, research that was being done specifically in, um, the technology sector tied to some of these mental health um, issues that people are dealing with right now um, and creating sort of this, you know, living environment that felt very specific to that event um, where people could talk to each other. They could ask questions. They could get links to more information. Uh, they could hear this great talk from the most decorated Olympian of all time. And then very honestly, 
three days later, it goes away, right? It's, um, it served its purpose and it gave people an opportunity to connect for a brief period of time, come back to it, get some hopefully valuable insight that's relevant to their personal health as well as how they can apply it to business principles throughout the week and then be done with it. And um, I will tell you that that is something that we would not have done six months ago, um, but it's something that it really resonated for a lot of people um, this time out. And it gave us an opportunity to, you know, during tough times, talk to customers about something other than, hey, where's that PO, you know? Yeah, and uh, we're, we're running out of time, so I want to get one last question in before we run out of time, because I think this it, that last answer reflects what I want to talk about in this final question, which is uh, you are well-known, uh, at least in the sports space, for publishing content on LinkedIn and really sharing your thoughts in a, in a um uh, a detailed and really thoughtful way about what's happening in the partnership industry and what's happening with sponsorship and what's the best way to activate. One of the things our, st- our students ask when they try to enter the sports industry, you know, what's the best path forward? And one of the ways that I talk about in my class is differentiating yourself and making sure that there's a clear point of differentiation between you and other people who are applying. One of the ways you've done that is through um, content and how you've looked at content in terms of posting stuff, whether it's on LinkedIn or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, how do you How do you see you know, what is the value in just either personally or professionally in terms of that approach that you've taken, particularly because it's so atypical, um, particularly for uh, somebody who's working for a brand or just somebody who's operating in the sponsorship industry? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's common for people to treat this stuff like state secrets, you know, and um I understand. Look, nobody should ever go out and, and advertise things that would get them in trouble with their with their business for doing so. But um, the reality is, we're not we're not here saving lives. You know, we're we're trying to ultimately sell more stuff, just like anybody else. And uh, I don't think that there is anything wrong with trying to get better and smarter about how you do it. Certainly you want to be careful um, and not talk about ways that your direct competitors could go ahead and take over and uh, uh, compete against you with. But beyond that, especially when it comes to theory or examples and things that you've done that are public facing and given the reasons for why you did it to me, that's just about being a good partner um, and of the community. And I mean that sincerely. Um, I don't believe that I've said or done anything that is ultimately going to um, come back to haunt me because a uh, competitor saw it and said, well, I could do this. And I never thought of it that way. I think it's more of a, honestly, it's been hugely beneficial to me uh, to go out there and talk about it because then people pursue me to talk about it like you have. Right. And I learn from you in those conversations. Hopefully you learn a little bit from me. Um, and if you have dozens and dozens of those conversations that you're generating by going out there and just being honest about your approach, you're learning a lot more in the process than you're teaching anybody. Right. I, I can tell you that, um, and I've put a lot of stuff out there that frankly, you know, I may put out five, six, seven years ago that I don't necessarily follow the way that I did before. Um, because you, you grow and evolve, you have conversations with people and you kind of say, Oh yeah, it would have made more sense to do it this way. Or, you know, we can adjust it by doing this or whatever. And so honestly, by being very, uh, open and communicative, I've, uh, I've learned a whole lot more, uh, in the process. I think you just, you got to have the confidence to not, um, 
you know, feel like you're going to get embarrassed uh, over time. And um, I think the, the last thing that I would say on that topic is about personally differentiating yourself and how you do that. Um, I feel like this is a, a paper that I'm writing, but like the, uh, there's a famous quote about this from Mark Cuban. Um, he said, uh, said, you know, don't follow your passion, follow your effort. And uh, I kind of alluded to that same idea earlier about everybody loves sports, everybody loves entertainment. It's like, what are you good at? And it's not just what are you good at. A lot of the things that you're good at are the things that you ultimately like doing. Even if it's not like the coolest or sexiest thing, if you're, if you're good at it, you generally like the stuff that you're good at. And so uh, in my career, I've really tried to focus in on the areas of my day where I know time's going to go by quickly because I don't even think about it as I'm going. It sounds nerdy. I enjoy contract review. I enjoy like going through it and figuring out where we need to try to adjust some things. How do we get a better deal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I found that and a few other things writing to point and kind of taking a step back and trying to understand uh, what we're doing and then communicating that to others. That's something too. Um, and so I would encourage anybody getting into this industry who just, you know, really wants to get involved and, doesn't care how and they're just looking for their foot in the door, find the things that when you're spending your day doing whatever job you're doing now that you say, wow, I can't believe it's already lunchtime or I can't believe it's already five o'clock. Identify those things and see where you can replicate them within the sports world because the sports world needs accountants. They need lawyers. They need everything just like any other business. So find the things that you're good at, get in, focus on that. And then like I did early in my career, find the gaps, make suggestions, and then try to expand your role organically versus trying to just find the next thing or the next title or whatever else. Because if you are good at different things and you can fill in gaps and you can be a, uh, a contributor across the board, you're going to find opportunity. That it is a great place to leave it. Uh, wish we could talk for longer. We're happy to have you back. But um, I, you guys mentioned, yeah, I, I know I learned a lot from the podcast. I know students will learn a lot from the podcast. So I appreciate the time. Um, good, you know, best of luck with everything obviously going on with uh, CDW and with COVID. And like I said, we look forward to, uh, to having you back soon. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. And, and certainly, um, we'll talk to you again soon on this stuff. All right. Take care, Dan. Bye.